Hello and welcome to the Expanded Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sharita Love. This podcast is an extension of Expanded Equity Collaborative, an essential platform connecting parents, students, and educators with the purpose of moving education equity forward. We work collaboratively to co-create systems-level education change. We are here in Springfield, Illinois, by way of St. Louis, and having a conversation with Kelly Wickham-Hurst, um, who is an educator, blogger, um, and anti-racist organizer. Uh, Kelly is with, uh, well, one, she is the executive director of Being Black at School, uh, but then also she is a um, organizer and facilitator with Crossroads Anti-Racist Organizers. And so uh, myself, uh, Sharita Love, I am with the Expanded Conversations podcast, but then also do work in St. Louis, Missouri um, around anti-racist education through uh, multiple platforms. And so this week, uh, what's this? We're in October 2019. Uh, and this week, um, I am bringing a group of education fellows from St. Louis to Springfield to attend this training. Uh, and so this is a two and a half day training uh, with Crossroads anti-racist organizers. And this is really giving an understanding and analysis of systemic racism. And the purpose of being here traveling, one, St. Louis is small. I think a lot of folks would say, oh, my, my space is small. And it's particularly smaller when you talk about the space of education. And so this we found was a good opportunity for us to kind of step outside the St. Louis bubble come to Springfield uh, and hopefully have some uh, fertile ground laid around a more authentic conversation when it comes to the issues that we see present in our systems uh, of education in St. Louis. And so these 10 uh, fellows work across multiple systems in St. Louis. Uh, some are at the um, uh, maybe assistant principal level or the um, um executive level in multiple spaces within their school system. Some have steps out, stepped outside of the school system to create um, something else that will affect education change in St. Louis. And so 10 of us will gather here this week. Um, Kelly will be one of the co-facilitators that will guide us through this process over the next two and a half days. Um, and we're just really excited, one, today to have a conversation with Kelly about her work and uh, the impact that she's having in this uh, education landscape as it pertains to anti-racist ed, but then also the ways that uh, we can think about, we as these educators coming from St. Louis, ways that we can think about um, systems level uh, inequity that we see and the way that the system has been designed uh, in a way that is not effective for students. And so with this knowledge, uh, the hope is that this group of folks uh, return to St. Louis with some different perspective and understanding and analysis around how to move within a system, how to create systems level change, um, and how to start to have conversations on a broader uh, or in a broader context um, for what we do um, in St. Louis so that our kids and our region are benefiting most from this work. And today we are just going to get to it. Let's do it. Like we were just talking today. Come on. I am more than excited, happy, enthused to have Kelly Wickham Hurst join us for the conversation today. 
Um, and I am going to lean out a lot during this conversation just because you you just are so phenomenal and fabulous and I look up to you so much. I've only known Kelly for a brief period of time mm-hmm. and I guess I, to my ignorance didn't know that she was like this goddess <laughs> right <laughs> um I'm trying they're to all looking at my picture I, now right like, everybody's looking at your and so i'm like okay so I, I i can't remember how we oh we connected over crossroads organizing training and right. uh somebody referred me to talk to you we had a couple conversations over the phone and then i invited kelly to speak at um, an event in st louis um right now we are in kelly's i'm gonna say hometown but where Kelly lives. Where Kelly lives. Where she Spring, stays. And where she stays in Springfield, <laughs> Illinois. Um, and so I invited her to St. Louis to speak. And um, in talking to a few of my colleagues, I'm like, you know, yeah, Kelly, welcome her. She's going to come and speak. And they're like, oh, my God, she's the keynote. And I was like, no, she's not the keynote. She's going to. You bringing Kelly Wickham Hurst in and she's not the keynote? <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, to my ignorance, let me go do some research. And then when I did, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Uh, you know what? I wasn't um, it, I wasn't offended at all. I didn't, I didn't think you I were. I was so glad to be invited. Oh, like, uh, yeah, yeah. But you, you will have your time in the sunshine. More it's time okay. in the sunshine. It's okay. Uh, but anyway, I just want to share a little bit about Kelly and then we're just going to get into the conversation um, so that we can hear uh, from a lot of the work that she's doing and um, leaning into her brilliance. So um, Kelly Wickhamhurst is a writer, educator, and speaker who pins the blog Mocha Mama. Uh, for 23 years, she worked in the public and private schools as a teacher, dean, and assistant principal. Um, she is an activist, an advocate for education, social good, responsible living, and storytelling is her favorite expression of the human condition. Uh, Kelly, I want to get a little bit uh, or give a little bit more information about uh, being black at school. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk. We'll just we'll just chat. OK, so Kelly is also the executive director. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, of being black at school, which advocates for equity and safety for black students, equity and safety for black students. Thanks for emphasizing yeah. safety. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's um, it's key. That's key, and it sits in my belly. So I'm just going to even pause right there for you saying uh, and invite that as sure. you started to talk about that. Um, this idea of safety, especially mm. for Black children, I don't think we think about their their need to be safe. We think about uh, the ways in which people are responding to to Black children across the country. Mm. So Springfield's not special. Mm-hmm. Like we're not a special snowflake there. Mm. St. Louis isn't either. No, right? No. Uh, Chicago isn't either. But neither is California. When mm-hmm. I go there, right? Look, you can look at the demographics everywhere, mm-hmm. and Black children are getting the short end of the stick mm-hmm. at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of safety, I think, came about from a conversation with my father. I didn't. Uh, I didn't. My dad wasn't a big talker. He's from New Orleans. And, you know, as your parents get older, they start talking and then you start leaning into them like, oh, this is going to be something I need to pay attention to this. They're starting to impart wisdom and saying things. And so he started talking about his own high school experience. And I was like, okay, so tell me some more. And he was also listening to me talk about my experiences in the school system where I kept trying to provide a safe and comfortable place Mm -hmm. for black children to land. Mm -hmm. Like they need to be able to have their humanity all the time. All the time. And we don't provide that. Yeah. We don't prioritize it. So I asked him why he didn't graduate high school. 
And he said, well, you know, that was the same year as Brown versus Board of Education. He was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And the implementation of it, of course, came later. But Brown 2 was three years, three months after Brown 1. So we have mm -hmm. a Brown 2 yep. um, that, that uh, talked about something different. But uh, my grandmother said that he wasn't going to finish high school because of that. Yeah. Which is not the narrative that we tell in this country about it's Brown. Not. It's not. What we say is Brown was the best thing that happened to us. Mm. And we champion it. And we made we made schools equitable. Mm. We didn't do that mm. at all. What we had was, so my father went to only black schools. And at the time, we had, we had Mexican schools in the United States and Chinese schools mm -hmm. um, and white schools. Mm -hmm. But we didn't call the white schools white schools. We just called them schools. They're just schools. Mm -hmm. So uh, post-Brown, my father was not going to be safe in his school system. And my grandmother was absolutely right because four years later, they had a whole bunch of armed guards walking yeah. a little fourth grade girl named Ruby Bridges into mm -hmm. her school building. And if, and if that little sweet fourth grade girl was a threat, then my father was definitely going to be a threat. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and, and when we talk about safety, we, we keep talking about it as from the perspective of the white students and the white dominance, yeah. like what their idea of safety is, is not our idea of safety. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I thought, you know, what would it look like if I was to create something to advocate for the safety yeah. and, and the wholeness of the child? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, hey, schools, I'm really glad y'all are talking about trauma Ooh. because guess what? There's racial trauma mm -hmm. that you're actually inflicting as vicarious trauma sometimes mm -hmm. and, and primary trauma to black children at all times. Mm -hmm. The way we make them stand in line, the way we make them put their hands behind their back and walk down hallways silently. Mm -hmm. That's not safe. Mm. And that's definitely not human. Mm. So uh, that's what I advocate for. Yeah. How how does that how has that work played out specifically in um, your advocacy at intersecting with schools and school systems? So school systems sometimes contact me because they want to do the work, mm -hmm. as we say, and then I start talking about the work, yeah. and then they realize they're not ready. Yep. And, but that's okay because it has this really symbiotic relationship with Crossroads. And that's when I say, I think maybe what you need, so I kind of prescribe things. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe what you need is an introduction to um, systemic racism yeah. because you don't even understand the system that you're currently in. You don't even understand that you're working in a white school. Yeah. Because when I say that, they go, we don't know. We have all students. No, no, no. But you have a white school system because mm -hmm. we've closed all the other ones down and we've pushed everyone into the white school system. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have to change anything mm -hmm. about your curriculum. You're still teaching it in the same ways. Mm -hmm. You're still teaching like white children get to see themselves every single day yeah. in their textbooks. Yeah. Uh, they get to know that they're welcomed and that they're wanted. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, we like first we have to reconcile with that, and if people aren't ready to reconcile, I I start saying, all right, this, there's needs to be other supports in yeah. place. Like a good teacher, I'm like scaffolding their learning. Mm -hmm. Like you you ain't ready for this. Cause <laughs> wait until wait till I say the words white supremacy. Uh oh, uh, you you're going to be very upset, and yeah. you're going to say, I beg your pardon, we are not the Klan. Mm. Like that's and 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 of course that's not what I mean, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I think it's really important that schools know their history. How did, how did your school come about? Yeah. How did it get started? Mm -hmm. um, and what are the things that your school did, 1955, 1956, that pushed out children of color? Yeah. Primarily black children. Mm -hmm. um, what were the things that happened in your community that pushed out 
children of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because it's not just schools, right? You know, as we've talked about, schools are related to everything. They're related to housing. They're related to everything in your community, transportation, yeah. banking, food, all those things. They're all connected. They're all connected. Mm-hmm. And so, like, look at your community. If you have a lot of private schools, a lot of Catholic schools, mm-hmm. why is that? Mm-hmm. And when did they get started? Mm-hmm. What year? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have lots of country clubs, why is that? Where's, yeah. your, where's your public pool? Yeah. Because 2,000 public pools were cemented over during the civil rights era. Mm. Because communities said, we would rather not swim with black children and black families. Mm. So then they just created their own little gated community. So like, let's just talk about that, right? Yeah. Like, I just want people to have an understanding. And so I have found that some of those conversations don't go very well. Mm-hmm. And some people are just like, oh, yeah, we're not ready for this. Yeah. That sometimes they're very honest, like... That's heavy stuff. It is. And I don't know if we're um, prepared to talk about all of that yet. Yeah. Um, but I can, I mean, I do and can go in and talk about data. Mm-hmm. I, I do and can go in and talk about their curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, curriculum is a real easy one mm-hmm. because it's just easy to be like, talk about what you teach. What yeah. percentage of it is white? Yeah. Um, and what percentage of it is also taught in a very white dominant way mm-hmm. of sit and get? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the ways that children of color learn? Yeah. What are the ways that, that culture actually should be impacting the classroom? And those are things that many teachers don't take into account. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yes to all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm interested then, so there's a few things, in how, so you are, um, a member of Crossroads Anti-Racist Organizers. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you can share quickly what your path is to getting there and what that that work looks like um, and how we think about um, systemic racism as a country. Um, and I think I'll get there when we right. start to talk right. about the intersections with education. But like, how'd you, yeah. how'd you get there? How'd and, get there? And so what I does started this like? blog about, I started writing online about 15, 16 years ago mm-hmm. and um, was not really a mommy blog, uh, even though people say that in such a disparaging way, which is mm-hmm. unfair. Um, there was a, that was a community of mothers. Mm. Um, and so I wasn't really writing about the things that they were writing about because I had had my daughter so many years before. Like mm-hmm. she was a teenager when everybody was just like, I need help on co-training, like sleeping, co-sleeping or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I need help with a 15-year-old. <laughs> Do you help. all like, where's the 15-year-old help? Um, and so... I was then I just forayed into this like I'm just going to tap into some of the things that are important to me and race is one of them mm-hmm. right it's a thing that I've always noticed it's a thing that I've always talked about it's just a it's constant presence yeah you know like you don't wake up and not know you're black mm-hmm. you know every day mm-hmm. uh, and if you happen to forget the world will remind you in really violent ways yeah. sometimes so I was writing about all of this stuff and then our school district brought crossroads training in mm-hmm. and I had gotten back from California I was speaking. I just want to point that out. I was speaking on the topic of race. Mm-hmm. I get back and, and you were a teacher at the time. I was an administrator. An administrator at the time. At the time. Yeah. And um, I get back and I decide to call all of my other like in our school systems here. There's always two guidance deans, and usually it's one black and one white. Usually, you know, equity, right? Like yeah, that's yeah. how that's how we're that's how we're being equitable. Like you always have a black and a white one. Mm-hmm. So I started to call all my girls, like because. 
you know, we're, we are a community too, right? Mm -hmm. And, and we had found and learned that if we don't support one another, that our white co-workers didn't necessarily do that. So there were things that of course, that they would keep from us. And I don't mean that they did this in like a deliberate way, but they definitely wouldn't train us on things that we were supposed to know. And then of course, you know, that rolls into, and you just got hired because of affirmative action. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and yet you are not teaching me what I'm supposed to know. Mm -hmm. You're not teaching me how to do this job. So we start, we start convening. So I call one of them. She's not in her office. I call another one. By the third one, and I'm like, "Where? Wh- can you tell me where she is? Because uh-huh. this is her, her assistant that's answered the phone. And she's like, she said some anti-racism training today. And I'm like, well, how come I didn't get in? Right, right. Do you, do, do you know where I just was? <laughs> like, do you know what I do? Do you know what I talk about vocally, publicly, online? I'm not making it a secret. Mm-hmm. Why didn't I get this invitation? Yeah. So I threw a fit. And um, it got back to all the right people. And uh, I got the excuse of, well, we just figured other people needed this training first. And I'm like, that's not really fair. Mm -hmm. That's not really fair. So uh, I went the next year and then it was transformative. Mm. It gave me all the language for all the things that I was recognizing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's yes, it's that. Oh my gosh. And that's exactly systems work. Yes. This organizational work. Yes. All of these things finally had a name and it, it, it was just like you, it was like reading the magic book that explained it all. Wow. And having the words for it. Yeah. And also that feeling of, you know what? I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. I was I was noticing all the right things. Mm-hmm. And so then after that, you know, our, our district was going to build a transformation team. And then I got asked to be on it. And I was like, all right, we're about to do this we're work. And this is going to be hard because, yeah. as you will see tomorrow or the next couple of days, is that when we get to this, the levels of an institution mm-hmm. and uh, the continuum of where we think we are as mm-hmm. an institution and then what the values of an institution Mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. and it's that part it's that we won't change the values which is why you can have people of color you can have black folks at really high levels in an institution and cannot change it yeah. because the values haven't changed yeah because we're maintaining white supremacy yeah. when we do that um so i uh, after that very first training i was like i got to do this again i mean it was exhausting i also just so you know i slept the whole rest of the weekend yeah my body was absolutely spent yeah um you know i had that adrenaline and Mm -hmm. i was it was good and i was like okay this is what i want this is how i want to operate i want to be an anti-racist educator Mm -hmm. i want to be an anti-racist assistant principal Mm -hmm. Uh, i was never going to be principal that was my own glass ceiling right like i met my glass ceiling as a woman Mm -hmm. and then i met it as a black woman Mm -hmm. because i was i was gonna make trouble Mm -hmm. because i was gonna challenge status quo yeah and so instantly someone from scoter which is the springfield coalition on dismantling racism that organized this training you'll be at tomorrow Mm -hmm. um instantly they came up to me and said would you like to join we really need your voice we 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 need you the same day of the same day the the last day of the training the last day of the training last day of the training wow wow because i was pretty vocal during the training Mm -hmm. and i of course i wasn't keeping the district secrets i wasn't keeping education secrets i was like yeah we got a hidden curriculum yes we punish black children more Mm -hmm. yes the the way we talk about black families is awful Mm -hmm. like i was saying and naming all of those things Mm -hmm. and because i was being fearless in that place that that was recognized and mm-hmm. so i joined them and and their our purpose for scoder is to bring crossroads training in and then a couple of years gotcha. in, later it was just like why aren't you becoming the trainer mm-hmm. so that you can do it in your area you, usually we have to fly people in like yeah. our you know our other trainer that's coming in is flying here from new orleans mm-hmm. um and so i can do this work regionally so i can do it in springfield i can come to st louis i've been in champagne i'm going to bloomington right yeah. like this this region i'm really 
I'm really pulling for us, y'all. Yeah, yeah, we need it. We all need it. I um, so there's a few things that I'm going to put in the show notes, show notes, y'all, uh, so that uh, we have information, history, context on Kelly and her work, and then also some of the context around Crossroads uh, that'll be in the show notes. Uh, but I really want to get to uh like this feeling and I'm, I'm i'm situating myself within st louis st louis education and those of us who are pushing for equity or equitable outcomes for kids in systems uh, especially those of us who are leaning into this anti-racist work in education right um there's this defeatist like we feel defeated right because we once you get to that space where you're trying to push against systems the system is adaptive it changes it you know it does what it needs to do to survive and yeah. to continue um in the way that it has um since the beginning you start playing checkers yeah. and you realize they're playing chess absolutely all day long and so what do what do we do like what do you say in your mm. wisdom knowledge experience to those of us who are one you know trying to fight this battle alone you know what I mean? Like yes. we're, maybe we're one administrator within a system yes. who's pu pushing for change, or maybe we're a coalition of two or three teachers who are really getting this information and want to look at some transformational change within education or within our school system. What do you say to that? Like, you know, where do we go? What do we do? How do you push yeah. in a way that is effective? Because it's not just the one, yeah. right? You'll be, you will be exhausted. You yeah. will have um, advocacy fatigue or yeah. activist fatigue. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's real. Yeah. And, and I would say you've got to organize, you've got mm -hmm. to take that group and then you've got to start growing it, mm -hmm. which is really what I've seen happen. And maybe it's easier for me to see this from my perspective mm -hmm. outside of St. Louis, that St. Louis did start with the city garden Montessori that was like, this is important to us. And then mm -hmm. other, look at how it's grown. Mm -hmm. Look at how many people now are doing this yeah. work. Yeah. Um, but you also have to be really intentional about how, how you're organizing and when you're going to push back and when you're going to overthrow, if mm. you will, um, that everything can be done. You just need all the backing behind you. And this is where I say white accomplices, not allies, because allies uh, can, they can opt out. Mm. I don't like that term. Mm. Um, I don't allies think can allies can opt out. I just want to yeah, they can opt out. They can decide not to put their bodies on the line. Mm -hmm. Accomplices will um, put themselves on the line and they will also risk their reputations, their positions, their mm -hmm. their power that mm -hmm. they have. Um, those are the people, those are, those are white folks that we need in the room with us to actually help us sometimes get the meeting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you and three other teachers might be upset about something. You need to find that white accomplice mm -hmm. and say, we need a meeting with the superintendent mm. and you need to call it. And then when we get in that meeting, this is all, this is all how you like yeah. organize this stuff, right? Yeah. When we get in that meeting and, and the superintendent is going to expect that you're going to do all the talking, that's when you lean back mm. and we're going to take over. Mm -hmm. And you are all you are doing there as our accomplice is you are amplifying what we're saying and you are, you are saying publicly to this other white person, usually, yeah. um, or at least the, the white supremacy power that's in place there, you are saying, I'm gonna support this and we are prepared, we are prepared mm -hmm. and we're gonna go forward and this is, this is what we would like. Mm -hmm. And if we don't get it, this is how we're gonna disrupt. Mm -hmm. So I think that, the, that what we've, we've gone a very far, far ways away from the disruption of civil rights yeah. um, and the, the ways in which those people, white, black, Lots of Jewish people, lots mm -hmm. of Italians, right? Like lots of different kinds of people putting their bodies on the line. And who are we to stop now? Who are we 
to say we're not going to continue the work mm-hmm. that they did. We're already standing on their shoulders. Absolutely. Why are we not organizing and, and doing things the way that, that they taught us how to do? Mm-hmm. Like they, they gave us the blueprint. We're not following it. Yeah. What do you say to the white folks? Those who consider themselves allies. Um, when you talk about this accomplice piece, like mm. what do you say to the white folks? Um, how do you know how to follow the leadership of people of color? Mm-hmm. And I make them ask, like, and I usually say, don't answer right now because you need to internalize this. Mm-hmm. Do you know how to follow the leadership of people of color mm-hmm. when they're the leaders and you think they're doing it wrong? How do you respond to them? Do you say, no, 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 here's what we should do. We should have this particular meeting. Um, many people don't listen to people of color as leaders. They mm-hmm. question us. They, they want us to they want us to do something and be really, really efficient with it. And sometimes our goal is to be effective. And those are two different values. And and I think that what we have to ask our white folks is where are your values in understanding how to do this? Because I also think it, it is also imperative and the onus is on us as people of color to also ask how do we follow the leadership of people of color because we've been socialized woo, not to woo. we've been I'm socialized to stop to- talking. i'm done <laughs> podcast over <laughs> i mean if i'm yeah. going to talk about my complicity yeah that's where it is yeah i have been socialized to follow the leadership of white men yes. that white men are in charge mm-hmm. and that, that 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 and i have actually seen black people at different levels of an institution tell me to do something and I'm like but did the white folks approve this yeah. did they say we could do it yeah. like that's what's in my head that's sometimes. what that plays in your head and you have to I have be to anti against that exactly yeah. I have to disrupt myself yeah, you have to disrupt yourself yep. and so I need to I need white folks to tell me how they're going to follow our leadership and how they're going to disrupt ways in which their whiteness continues to show up because mm-hmm. it will show up mm-hmm. it is always there my friend mm-hmm. Derek recently said it. he said it's like fog yeah. Like you can't get out of it. Yeah. And that fog is just like you see it rolling in and you're like, here it comes. Mm-hmm. How do I disrupt this so that I can actually see something? Yeah. So I, th- I think we have to ask our white folks really hard questions. Um, mostly we have to ask them how they're going to follow, not yeah. lead. Yeah. And, and that what, but what we can do is like there is a place for us to have side by side leadership. Mm-hmm. But many white folks aren't ready for that yet because mm-hmm. they don't even see us as leaders. Ooh. They don't see us as knowing what's best for us. Like, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that the thing that's happening here in Springfield um, about this homeless center is, yeah. is you didn't ask the community how they would respond to it. It's just white supremacy ideals that come in and are t- th- that tell people, we know what's best for you, so we're going to fix this for you. Yeah. And then you've got the people of color over there going, yeah, that's not all best for us, right? Like some of this is actually a problem because we have a daycare across yeah. the street. We have a school a couple streets down. Mm-hmm. So we, we also are thinking about our own neighborhood, our mm-hmm. own communities, our own children, mm-hmm. our own families. Mm-hmm. And you, you've just come in as the expert to tell us how to, to do this. To tell us how to do it, yeah. But, but people of color, black folks are organizing in their communities all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I just told this story to a friend of mine yesterday about, about not wanting police in certain areas right mm-hmm. so one of the things that's going to go along with this homeless thing one of the options is to add a police substation and then i'm like that's mm, okay. not really the way black communities want to take care of ourselves Absolutely. And so as a child we knew that there was this courtyard lots of courtyard areas in on the south side of chicago where i lived where there was a man who had definite mental illness mm-hmm. i definitely i wouldn't have called it that as a kid mm-hmm. we just called him the crazy the old crazy man, man right yep. the crazy man don't, yep. don't go don't talk to the crazy man mm-hmm. crazy man's out today um, all kinds of things that kids mm-hmm. do. But we knew as a community that when he was really, really off, 
that we were not to call the police. Absolutely not. We were to call we were to call the adults in our community to come care for him. Either mm-hmm. he needed to be fed, mm-hmm. he needed to be bathed, he needed to he needed to get out back on medication, he needed to be taken to the doctor. That that's how our community took care of him. Mm-hmm. And if it but white folks want to come in and be like, well we have to we have, have to. police have to be there. So if homeless folks are doing drugs, we have to arrest them, we have to take them away. So we have to criminalize them. Mm-hmm. We have to do all these things mm-hmm. when Honestly, like that is just not the way every community works. And if if white folks would actually listen to us, we would tell them. We would tell them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you you went there. And, I did. Uh, I always do. <laughs> you went there, um, but I'm, okay. So I asked the question about what would you tell um, our white accomplices, uh, white folk. What about black folk? Mm. What do you tell us around this? Because I'm, I'm having these conversations and questions about. Uh, liberation and mm-hmm. um, the ways in which you know we as Black folks have socialized, have been socialized, and internalized these messages and how it's playing out and the work that we have to do. You talked a little bit yep. about community healing earlier. I think this was before we came on the podcast. And um, if I'm honest, if I'm transparent, there's for me, Sharita, there's a lot of fear in mm-hmm. going down that path with community and particularly a black community around how we look at healing. Mm -hmm. Um, A black community that has PTSD. Yes. In a nation that has PTSD right now. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like what, what, what would, what do you say to black folks? You know, I think one of the things that I had to learn first, there's several things uh, that I'm thinking of, two in particular. One is that I had to decolonize my own mind Mm -hmm. and I had to stop thinking about thinking about things in the ways in which I was, taught to think about things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like an unlimited way of doing things. And I remember being in one of my jobs and, and my white boss was like, that's the wrong way to do it. And I'm like, no, this is, I'm getting it done. You have your way, I have my way, yeah. but I will get it done. I will do, I will, I'm doing this job. Um, I think like undoing a lot of things needs to happen first. And I know that healing has to be a part of that too, mm-hmm. right? But that we have to ask ourselves, how did I get socialized? Mm-hmm. And also, how have I been racialized? Mm-hmm. And how have I internalized some of those things? Mm-hmm. How have I actually like, you know, snuggled up to the dominant white culture? Mm-hmm. Because it gives me access to certain things. Yeah. Um, and I gotta, be, I gotta be real honest about that. And so I think that we can't pull that apart. We can't really strip down to that unless we're also healing, right? Yeah. I can't ask somebody, I'm gonna just gonna pick this scab yeah. and then watch you bleed. Like mm-hmm. I've gotta, I'm gonna apply ointment mm-hmm. and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a bandage on it mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna wait a little time and I might, I might come and pick it off again, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but, but we can't just peel off all of these wounds and then expect to be done. Yeah. Like we're trying to actually heal ourselves. It's like building the plane while it's flying, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I'm thinking about, and I think about all the time, is the ways in which I can use my light skin privilege mm-hmm. because I know how this country views me. I know that I know this. This is so, so hard for people to hear. I know that white folks will listen to me mm-hmm. over someone who has two black parents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I am more palatable mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. Even if they're Absolutely. not being honest about it, I know that they're hearing it from me because I'm saying it in the voice that I'm saying it in. Yep. I'm speaking that I'm speaking in my very Midwestern right. Like mm-hmm. I had to think about the ways in which I could use that particular privilege in order to fight for my black brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. in ways that I had seen other people from history also do that same thing. Yeah, I hadn't recognized it as such, and once I did, I was like, oh, I have a role here. Wow. 
And how do I how do I actually interrupt and 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 use that? My friend Karen said to me one time. She said, "You sometimes I think you are white people's safe black person mm. because they can ask you a question and you. I mean, you, I sometimes will go off on them. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, I sometimes do. You know, like can I can I ask you a black question? And I'm like, yeah, I went to the last black meeting. Sure. <laughs> I got the notes. I mean, if it's an international question, there's an 800 number I got to dial oh, yes. for the diaspora. <laughs> yes. But I can answer all of your questions mm, about black folks. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I think that she, she, she identified something about the ways, because I'm a teacher mm-hmm. um, and because I talk about healing and because I'm also transparent yeah. about myself, because I know myself, that I, I know that my life, I have been told things like, you know, you are really pretty and you have beautiful eyes. And, and while that's a compliment and while that's appreciated, I also know that there is something really damaging tied up with that, yeah. that yeah. really what I represent and what I look like is the product of white men raping mm-hmm. enslaved black women mm-hmm. in this country. Mm-hmm. That's not lost on me. Yeah, I'm. It's hard to look myself in the mirror mm-hmm. when I have that understanding. Mm-hmm. But if that's not in my belly, as you say, yeah, if that is not the deep thing going on here and asking me how do I how do I come alongside my black brothers and sisters? So I I, I guess maybe the question that you asked is what do I say to them? Is really what do you need me to do? Hmm. What how can I use the privileges that I have to make life better for everybody? Yeah. Because there are places you cannot go. There are places I cannot go. Yeah. But I know that there are places you cannot go that I can. And if I get access to those places, I need to say what you need me to say. That's organizing too. Yeah. That's a part of like the strategy. I'm a strategist. Yeah. It's the middle child in me. Mm. Like always being like, what can I get? Mm -hmm. I see that in you. (laughs) Ubuntu. (laughs) Ubuntu. Okay, I'm going to wrap this thing up because I can just keep going. I can keep going. I can keep going. And there's more to say and more to share. Um, I want to thank you for your time and your sharing and just who you are in this space. Like you you are inspiring so many of us and you are showing us what it means to be anti-racist in this space of education. And just thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm humbled. Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Any last words? a deep breath Mm -hmm. just take a deep breath like we're we got work to do Mm -hmm. we can do it Mm -hmm. we we can be our ancestors wildest dreams Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. we are doing things already that our ancestors never ever thought we would do we're sitting here with microphones in a hotel yeah we are in a city that had a race riot yeah right that that in a city where we would have just been the people that cleaned the hotel absolutely right that's what my grandmother did she was a hotel maid wow um so let's remember where we've come from where we are and that we've just got work to do we got work to do do. and let's do it so that our kids can benefit most yep Thank you. Thank you.